Hello and welcome back to the Marketing Mashup Podcast. I'm so happy that you are here for this episode because we have Harry Dry, who is the founder of Marketing Examples. The funny thing is, since recording this episode, Marketing Examples has grown exponentially. His email list has over doubled from 5,000 to 13,000. His Twitter following has gone up by five times from five to 25,000. And his revenue is increasing. It was about 1K and now it's 2.5K and it's still going up. Harry is one of the most prolific marketers I've come across. But the interesting thing about that is he's never actually worked in traditional marketing, which gives him a unique perspective when it comes to marketing strategies and tends to just do the things that work instead of following a plan for strategy, which I really, really respect. The conversation I had with him was super useful and I think you're going to enjoy it. We talk about the various projects Harry ran while he was at university, the Kanye West dating app he made and he managed to get a billboard in Times Square for, and how Marketing Examples was born. And if you're here to learn something, there's plenty for you here too, such as how to be successful on Reddit, making your work incredibly high quality. Harry puts a lot of time and effort into his work and providing value to people on the platform that they are on, um, such as Twitter. There's a reason Harry has been able to grow his Twitter so quickly and so well. He is an absolute expert when it comes to growing on Twitter. One final thing before we get into this, I'm planning to keep this podcast ad-free forever, but I would love your support if you enjoy the pod. Each episode takes a ton of coffee to produce, so if you actually want to buy me one of those coffees, you now can do. Um, there's a link in the show notes, or you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash jamesmc. Anyway, that's enough rambling for me. Let's get into this episode. Harry, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm I'm great, actually. Uh, I wasn't so great maybe 20 minutes ago. Yeah. I just arrived at Holborn or Russell Square, Russell where, Square where, yeah. where we are. But uh, no, I've been been invited in by James. I'm looking forward to the show. Yeah, definitely. We, we, um, we, we were just chatting about some of your different podcasts you've been on. So you've done the Indie Hackers one. I have indeed. And, um, and the other podcasts you've done have all been remote. So this is your first in-person podcast. How different is it? being actually in person because I, I always have this rule with pods that that I wanted all of the podcasts to be in person because I think it's a better conversation you're seeing the person they're sitting across from you as opposed to remote ones so with with Indie Hackers for me it was a really big deal because I was such a fan of the site and a massive fan of Cortland that I prepared intensely like I had I had I spent a couple of days just writing notes for it and anticipating questions and whatnot and although I feel like I, you know, I did okay um, and enjoyed it, I, I, in hindsight, like, I didn't look into Cortland's eyes much. We were on a Zoom call and or whatever call it was, and I was just like scanning my like little notes I'd made, things like that. And if I was, and I thought afterwards, if I was doing it again, you know, I wish I just kind of embraced it more and yeah, had the eye contact, like stared into his soul, yeah. whatever he was thinking. I think it makes a difference. So it's yeah, it's nice to be here. Did he um did he send like notes beforehand in questions that he was going to ask? No, I see. Really? <laughs> he was he was he was very chilled. It was it really struck me. I was anticipating him to be because the level is the quality is so high. I thought he would he'd be really on it. But no, he in kind of a good way. He just showed up and what did he say to me? Uh, he showed up. Anything you want to talk about was what he said as soon as we got on. And then I couldn't get my mic working for ages. So then he was just coding in the background for about half an hour while I was trying to sort out my, like my mic. Um, and then we started and yeah, he, he just went through my milestones on my page, on the page, but I was struck by how chilled he was. That's interesting. So for, for this pod, I, I always send notes to my guests beforehand because I want them to feel prepared and I'm not going to catch off for any curveballs. One of the podcasts I did was the guy called Paul Jacobs. It was uh, probably about 10 episodes ago now. And he was amazing, but he had literally... I sent him my notes and he had done two or three pages of notes on my notes, printed out in front of him. It, it was just... It was such a pleasure to interview him because all the questions, he didn't, it wasn't like he was reading from his script. He just knew the examples that he was going to pull from. And I was like, shit, this is, this is so, so good. Because I've had podcasts where there are, where I send people notes and I go, have you read them? And they go, no. So when I ask them questions that they're not expecting, they go, um, uh, and that doesn't make for good listening. When I got off the podcast, I was like, I've blown this opportunity because I was just too rehearsed. I listened to it back like a week later. I was actually kind of dis really disappointed with it. And then a week later, I 
went off running and I played it for the first time in my head. It was just so much better than what I thought because obviously not everyone knew that I was just like rehearsing the thoughts I'd had in my mind the whole of the last two days. They all thought it was spontaneous. And my parents were like, yeah, it sounded great. Like you didn't sound like you had, like you'd rehearsed it that much. It sounded really natural. So I, I think preparation is, is definitely underrated for, for things like this, yeah. So Harry, you've had quite an interesting journey over the last few months, but let's go back way further than that. Let's go back to university. Did you go to university? I, I did. I went to Durham University. I would say it's the place dreams grow to die. That would be <laughs> my anticipation of Durham. I think like I went to a, a good school. and I think every person from my school, that was like the path to take. It, teachers sort of push you in that direction. Parents push you in that direction. Society is just like, that's the next step on the chessboard, I, I suppose. And so I'm at university in the first year, I was probably the most demotivated I've ever been in, in my life. Like I used to be at school, I was really like passionate about work because that was the thing to do at the time, like, you know, get good grades. And then first year of university, I just watched Breaking Bad and ate so much ice cream <laughs> and like got, you know, sat on the bench for the football team. <laughs> so uh, second year came around, I was like, look, that year was shit. Like I just didn't really, I was like, that year was rubbish. Like I didn't, you know, what did I do? I kind of, I'm. I always been quite ambitious it was just a waste of a year so I think second year hit and I started uh, learning to code like I I got really into Wes Boss he was a pretty awesome teacher and I, I sort of realized the value I was getting from these online courses was just different league to the value I was getting from my lecturers which was you know funny I guess because I was paying the nine grand to them and I was paying Wes like a hundred pounds for an amazing course and I learned to code and then and the third year came around and I, at this point I was like, all right. And I, um, my friend like finished university and my friend, what, what were you doing? Uh, economics, which was part of the problem. I feel like when I went, the idea was just to sit in a bank and kind of like, you know, make the money. That was the, that was the path. That was the path Harry Dry was on at the age <laughs> of 19 was, you know, my life was mapped out for like a retirement at age 60, you know. Oh, interesting. So you, you like had a plan of what you wanted to do from work when you left school university yeah. so what was after uni for you that was working in banking it, precisely like I even did in I think I tried to do an internship at like I don't know I can't remember what bank it was but I, you say I had a plan that's the thing I would say it was more like the plan which was made for me which I kind of like I think Joe Rogan has a nice thing where he says um it's like all right I'm on this plan I'm on this route and look up oh no that, that's a left turn like people are just shuffling you into into what's next and you have to you have to stick your head up out of the crowd and just look around and be like no this isn't actually for me and I, I think yeah second year that kind of that kind of realized so I was gonna drop out and I for some reason I regret not not dropping out actually because I feel like that would have been enough that, that would have been a statement to kick myself into gear faster but I completed the course and I you know I did okay and I got back home from third year and my friend Giles who's the, actually one of my only friends who never went to university he bought me this canvas on the wall and it was a tweet from Roger Federer and I think it said congrats on finishing the degree now on to the next challenge or something like that and that was a really lovely gift from him so it was obviously a fake tweet I should add that Roger Federer didn't actually tweet me and so we, I started creating this website where you could turn canvas prints, which is what he bought me, into, into tweets. I kind of had this idea that Product Hunt would fly on Product Hunt and, you know, the, we'd be millionaires or whatever. But of course, there was no real marketing plan. We just had this website, which we put online, we bought a domain, and nothing really happened. And I think that was a, like, you have to kind of go through the failure, I suppose. But that made me realize that, you know, you have to actually market stuff. And I think that's what a lot of particularly people like the indie hacker type uh, really don't do enough of. They love building and making stuff, but there's just not much kind of like, not much marketing and no one really sees the product. Yeah, so so let, let's go back to your friend getting you the canvas of the Roger Federer suite. I built this, it's called 140 Canvas, which was a bad name because Twitter, I think, subsequently upped it to 280 <laughs> characters on like the week after we launched it. Um, but anyway, we built this thing and... Um, our idea was that people would just somehow magically flock to this website, which evidently they didn't. We actually had one really lovely marketing trick up our sleeve. We, which I always told me that YouTubers do this thing called mail time, which is where they open mail given to them by like fans. And we tracked down, I think it was about 20 YouTubers who do mail time. And because our product's quite fun, it's entertaining, it's a big canvas, so it looks like a real tweet, but it isn't. We mocked up in these sort of fake dummy tweets to send to these YouTubers. 
So we gave one to like KSI at the time he was fighting Joe Weller. And it was something like, like it was a tweet from Joe Weller saying he was going to knock KSI out. Or we sent one to Casey Neistat, I think. And that was from uh, Spike Lee, because Casey Neistat's favorite film director is Spike Lee. And it was like, Casey, you're a big fan, you know, from big fan from New York. Keep doing what you're doing. And our plan was that, you know, they unpackaged these, these tweets on camera. And, you know, we, we branded them heavily with 140 Canvas stuff. And we wrote these like lovely handwritten letters explaining, you know, uh, first business. You know, you've got to sort of play into your strengths. It's like first business. Tell the story. Exactly. Make it like, don't just be a brand or a big product. You leverage your advantage. And our advantage was that we were two kids who were pretty clueless about business. And that's like a narrative you can, people can dig into. So we sent all these canvases off. And um, one YouTuber, actually two YouTubers, one YouTuber called Chili, who has over a million subscribers, opened it. And she was so blown away by our, all our packaging. It's, I think it's all the little things. So we like bought glitter and like wrapping paper and our product just looks so much nicer than all the other people who are sending her stuff. So she spent about six minutes of her video just all about us. Oh and in God. the description of the video, um, this video's got I think, over, I think it's over 2.5 million views or something like that. Um, she, pi she pins our, my comment and in the description it says, check out 140 Canvas. This was like the best gift I've ever got for in, in fan mail. So, me and Giles saw this video go up and we were thinking, oh my God, we, it's, we've done it, it's worked. We've made it. And just, we went on analytics and there was like, there was about 150 people more than we'd ever seen before on the site, but it just didn't really sell very well at all. I think we sold, honestly, off 2.5 million, uh, 25. And we also realized how we didn't have any, we didn't have any distribution in America. So it probably ended up costing us more than it was. <laughs> but it was still a good experience just to, like dip your toe into a little bit of creative marketing, I, I suppose. But the problem was there was just no sustainable plan. And I think that's a theme of my early projects that was that beyond like these kind of big ideas, big marketing splashes, there was no real substance. There was no way of getting people to the landing page every day. Uh, and so that product kind of slowly but surely died off and we gave up on it. So I'm not saying it was a bad thing to give up because I feel like we never really validated the idea very well. The problem was that if I was doing it again, I would have bought one canvas, took it into my old school and shown it to the kids and been like, do you understand what this is? Would you buy it for a friend if you know you made one? And you, could, you could have got even your first 10 orders just like that. You'd have been like, we'll give you a you know, discount, old school. And they'd have probably told us, no, like we don't use Twitter. We don't, we don't really understand the joke here. It was something which my friend bought me and I found hilarious. Little did I know that just no one else really did find it that funny. Um, so yeah, never validated it. So my second idea was, all right, I've got to validate something now. That's like, you know, the main, the main thing, I've got to make sure that I build something people want, the old YC slogan. So I thought, I'm going to make websites for musicians. And I, what I did was I had this one template website which I made, and I started, this is very much direct selling this. So I went onto Reddit, and there's a page called I think it's Reddit New Artists or something like that. Reddit New Music. And it's people, struggling musicians trying to get out of their music. So I went through, you know, the top of the day and all these musicians trying to post. And I just made, my, with my template website, I span it into every, every musician I came across, I would put all their music on my template website and host it on a subdomain, which I'd then send to them and be like, oh, look, I made a website. It's just for you. I really like your music. I really, I really like your music, <laughs> um, in inverted commas. And like, check it out. And my idea was that if maybe sort of five or six of the 30 people came back and said, all right, yeah, let's, let's do it, then I had a, maybe a business. I could just make 20, 20, 20 new websites a day, get five sales a day at like 10 pounds a month, and slowly but surely, it would kick into gear. Um, I, it didn't work because I think I only sold two. Only two people ended up, yeah, only two people ended up replying. I think I had about 10 replies, but only two people ended up buying it. And it was quite soul-destroying work making these websites. But from a marketing point of view, like, or a validation point of view, it's just much better. I feel like, um, like I went through all the steps. Ultimately, the bottom line was musicians just didn't want to buy websites from me. But at least I didn't you know, make a fancy logo, make a huge landing page, spend lots of money up front. Like it was just something I validated in about a week or so. So after you made the, the websites for musicians, what did you do then? All right, so at this point I was at home and my parents were getting a bit restless. They were like, all right, how many times are you going to fail before, <laughs> before you get a real job? I think that was 
what the motive was. And I said, all right, I'll do one more. I'm going to, this is a meal time I will not forget. Cause I was at this point, I was two projects down and I already before this, like not anything to do with marketing, but I wrote like a little book about originality, which also didn't particularly do great. So three things down and um, like maybe a year, a year and a bit after I'd left university and they were like, actually no, maybe six months, eight months after I left university. And they were like, all right, maybe, yeah, time to get a job, Harry, you know, move out the family house and whatever. And I told them, no, I'm gonna, not going to do any of that. I'm going to make a dating site for Kanye West fans. That's the, <laughs> new, that's the new idea. Did you tell them at dinner? Was that I told what them at said? dinner and my dad was just like, oh, come God. on. Like, really? Kanye? Of all, of all people? Um, that was a tricky sell. But lo and behold, I think it was the same thing which I'd learned from the canvases, which was like, don't build a whole dating site. Just put up a landing page, get all the hype, collect emails. Um, without you know spending three months actually coding something, so it, to be honest, it only took me about like genuinely two two days to make the landing page, put an email box on, and I started collecting journalists' emails. There's a great tool called Buzzstream Discovery. So what you do is you can just type in the name of any topic, celebrity, whatever. So it could be vegan, it could be Kanye West, it could be uh, Boss headphones, and it will just come up with a list of journalists who talk about that topic. So I think I just put Kanye West in and it's back back out, you know, 400 journalists who write consistently about Kanye West and you can find their emails, you know, I think it's Hunter, which a lot of people use to find emails or what I did was I put it on Reddit first. Kanye's, the Reddit, Kanye's subreddit is really huge. I don't know, it, it, it did well. It had about 500, 600 upvotes. So then I emailed the journalists and that gave me, I, I could say to them on the email, oh, this thing is blowing up on Reddit right now. And that just sort of made me stand out a bit more than just someone who was crying out for them to look at my project. I was actually saying, and people think it's good, not just me. Um, so I got a couple of replies from journalists and I think I woke up the next day and I was actually, I was I was doing a little bit of contract work for this payments company. Um, but I was in this meeting and my phone started ringing. I turned it to silent and it's ringing again and jump out this meeting. I checked MongoDB. I was saving the emails in there. I should have really been saving them in a proper thing, but I just wasn't that good enough to sort that out. And had like 400, 500 names in, in this database. I Googled Kanye West's name and the Yeezy dating site was just like everywhere, like a billboard, MTV, BBC were trying to contact me. Um, and the, the straw, the final straw was I was on the train again the next day and my friend texted me like, BBC Radio wanna try and want to talk to you right now about Yeezy dating. They want to talk to the creator. I couldn't get any signal on the train to join the call. I was like, enough's enough. Like, I, I've got something going. This is this could take off a bit. So I told the payments team that I was bowing out for a few months to, <laughs> to, make, the, to make the site. I, I, I then thought, I've got all this momentum. What do I do? And I noticed something Peter Levels, the guy who made Nomad List, did. He, he went like viral in a sort of similar-esque way with his Nomad List. And you've got to capture all the value. So I made a Telegram chat for the... Because I knew I couldn't build this thing for another two months, really. Um, I couldn't code it for another month and a half or however long. So I tried to get everyone on this Telegram chat. And that was great because it kept momentum up. And it wasn't like I just went quiet for you know, such a period of time. I think also I sent out a little email update. So it was just, you know, ever so slightly over the next year, over the, the last year, just getting a little bit wiser. Um, so I built it, launched it, it crashed, uh, built, uh, launched it again. Actually, that's from Indie Hackers. I think I posted on Indie Hackers about the crash and... That's actually how I got my job afterwards was the guy called Leo from a company called Crowdform, like basically sorted out my problem. I, I put the user dating up on the internet and people start uploading pictures. And like after about five minutes or so, all the pictures just starts being stripped down from the site, just one by one vanishing. I was in my bedroom at the time, my parents' bedroom, and my dad walked in like, how's it all going? How's the big launch going? I just looked at him like, just get out. I need to, <laughs> I need to sort this out. <laughs> get um, out. <laughs> Uh, so then indie hacker people basically actually just told me all the stuff I was doing wrong. A couple of days later, put it back on, all the pictures sort of saved all right. I actually spun it. One one newspaper this site wrote, um, and I gave them the headline. It was, Yeezy's eating servers crashed, too much like traffic on launch day. It was, you know, you can spin things like that. You're doing press releases to them. Uh, it, I feel like press releases, are, I didn't really do press releases. I think I just emailed him. Yeah. I, I probably the same thing. I, I'm incredibly clueless is what I said. Like, all of this stuff... I have absolutely no technique, like no background in any, in any of this. It's just a lot of emails and, um, I don't know, plucky courage, I guess. Like, I don't really think you have to be too professional. Actually, I think that was my, my, my strength, if anything, was that I was clearly someone who was just, you know, uh, making up as they go along. 
and people just warmed to that in a way. It wasn't a big company who were making this thing to make money. That was my idea was to make money, but it just was this l little kid who just didn't really know what he was doing. I think that's a nice narrative to, to play into. It struck me that like I haven't really got what what, what comes next. Like I've lost the virality. And what I should have done is marketing. I should have like started a podcast or start because we had great domain authority from an SEO point of view because of all the companies and press which had wrote about us. I could have started, started blogging. Like I had a big audience. The Instagram was like 9,000, something like that. And so much going for me. I just bottled it all. I didn't know what to do. I was like a chicken in headlights, I think. And um, what I came up with was I'm going to hire these billboards. Again, it was like the big idea I was striving for. So I thought Kanye West is opening offices in... New York, Wyoming, London, and Chicago, I think. So I'm going to take out billboards in all these locations saying, phone me, Kanye West, followed by my, my phone number. And the idea would be that I'd you know, get him on the phone and convince him that Yeezy Dating is the next big thing. So I, I started researching this, and it, billboards are just so cheap. Really? I, it was crazy. I have a guess how much I paid for, for Times Square for 24 hours. What, sorry, wait, you did Times Square? It was Times Square in New York for 24 hours. Have a guess how much it cost. 20 grand. No, it was 700 pounds. What? $660. That's crazy. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It's, I originally, when this idea cropped into my mind, I was like, all right, this is going to be, this is going to be too expensive. But London was the most expensive, was 1,100, I think, for 24 hours. For Piccadilly Circus? I can't remember where it was. It oh. was I never actually went to any of them. So I, <laughs> I was just at home trying to like mastermind the whole thing. When I say mastermind, just, you know, do everything from, from home and, this was the thing because I realized how do I get people to take the photos if I'm not going to be there? And obviously people, you know, so what I did was I went on these dates and had this big email list and I filtered by city. Like people from Wyoming, people from uh, New York, people from London and emailed all these subsets being like, I'm taking out these billboards. Can anyone do me a massive favor and just go down there with a camera phone and just take a, like a good shot and send it to me on email? And I got a bunch of replies being like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it for you. Um, so that's how I got all the photos. I only really realized this about, about six hours to go. I only clocked that. How am I going to get the photos <laughs> to send out? Um, so I put up the billboards, and on that very day, Kanye had said, I think he said the whole slavery is a choice thing on that very day. I'm not sure if anyone remembers that, but it was a big kind of news story when he was going with the whole MAGA hat vibe, and um, that very much overshadowed my, my own little like gimmick story was all this fact that Kanye is a Republican and everything like that. So... I was kind of blown out the water by all of this. But again, I guess it's a theme of the stuff I've been talking about is resourcefulness. So like we got in a bit of media, but not as much as I, I wanted. But um, what I ended up doing was I tracked down the headquarters of Yeezy, the company, and I realized that there was a, some offices nearby. We couldn't get the phone number for Yeezy. You could get offices nearby and started calling them. And... Um, Someone picks up, and I got put down the phone a few times. And I was like, what? And I, was, I kept saying, like, do you know anyone who works at Yeezy? Because I went through LinkedIn and tried to find people, just couldn't get anyone. And someone said, someone got really into my story, like, Yeezy dating, hilarious, billboards, great. And, and they said, yeah, like, my best friend's, um, my best friend's called Ashley is an uh, assistant to the CFO at Yeezy. I'll send it on. So anyway, a week later, Ashley emails me, saying, I've just had this forwarded to me, like, our CFO, this financial officer for Yeezy would love to talk to you so I talked to this guy called Ike who was really nice um, and in hindsight I should have like seized the bull by the horns and I should have said to him look I've got I'm flying into head, headquarters in a week's time like all I want is an hour, an hour meeting and just went for it but I never said that and it kind of just drifted he said like give us your CV I'd love to talk more what transpired was that he was what I realised at Yeezy is things are a bit disorganised so things were moved around and I left the company pretty shortly after. So I'd lost my linchpin and I emailed Ashley again. And she was like, yeah, I've also left the company. <laughs> I was kind of out, out in the woods. Um, definitely a huge tangent here, but that was more or less the easy dating story. So what happened after then then? All right. So the guy who solved all my coding problems uh, for the Kanye site then says, I want to like, love to hire you. And it's a company in London called Crowdform, that development company. And the idea was bring me in and I would do four days for them. And then one day I could do whatever I wanted to, like on my own projects. And that was like, left my parents' house at that point, got in the real world, inverted commas. And yeah, I lived like a real person, like a normal person for about 
eight months, nine months to a year. And then I knew that I wanted to, it's no disrespect to the company at all. I think working for companies is great a lot of the time, but just for me, I, I ne it never was for me. Like I, I actually really, I really enjoyed it, but it just never, it's never gonna be for me. So at this point I'd lost all the money I'd had and I had to come up with a way of making maybe 2000 pounds or so a month. That would be enough to leave my job, you know, start something myself. And I thought, what's the way, like, how can I do that? So I, I think what I learned from the Kanye thing was like, if you aim so big, you, you try and build this huge rocket, it's probably end up not going to launch or it's, the launch isn't going to go quite as you want or whatever. So why not just do something incredibly small? So then I, I had a lot of email subscribers from the Kanye story. They're all into marketing. A lot of people thought, like I knew something about marketing, which I'm still not sure I do to this day. Um, and I started, I had a bunch of articles I kind of wrote in that time at that being at Crowdform, the company, which I hadn't really done much with. So I just bundled up 10 articles together, put them on this website called marketingexamples.com and put it out on Twitter. And I think just from like, I guess the Kanye thing, being active on different forums, whatever, I had a few, maybe like 1,500 followers at the time and you know, picked up a little bit. I think I wrote one about Nomadlist. Um, I wrote about their SEO strategy. And fortunately, the founder, a guy called Peter Levels, who has maybe 60,000 followers or so, thought it was a good article and he ends up sharing it. So had about 100 subscribers from there, 100 email subscribers and growing slowly. Um, so that was the next step. And I think just in terms of coming up with that idea, I think a lot of people, I don't really think there's a, yes, yeah, so, in terms of coming up with the idea, I'd say that it's like a, um, it's like a bit, you know, w what idea should you create? And there's so many variables which go into this function. So for me, it was like, all right, I can code, I can do design. I'm really kind of like, I, I'm very detailed when it comes to writing. So I, I'm, my standards are high in terms, of I'm not going to slap something out there. I, I take a lot of time on each article. And then what else have I got going for me? All right, I've got 500 people who actually want to hear about me and marketing. I've got, um, for the company, I've been sharing all their articles myself on like places like Reddit, Growth Hackers, um, in Indie Hackers, um, Zest. You know, I, I knew these like little watering holes where you could share content. So all these variables kind of work together. As well as that, it was like, I didn't really want to raise money. I didn't want to build the next billion pound business. I just wanted to make a humble amount of money. And you put all these variables together and the, the output is just like, all right, we'll just do a really simple blog. And that's all Marketing Examples really is at, at the moment. It's, it's, it's like a glorified blog. You know, it's a, you, you strip away all the strimmings, trimmings from the turkey and it's just like articles about marketing, but it's created in a way which like makes it seem like a bit more. So yeah, that was the next project. Talk me, talk me through a bit more about Marketing Examples and sort of when you started it, you started growing it. You had a few people from uh, Yeezy Dating um, that wanted to know a little bit about marketing. You started writing these. When did you start to see a little bit of traction with it? I think I got to give such an awful answer. That the answer is that honestly, out of every single one of those subscribers, like the first thousand, I'd say, they all came from very specific things I did. So it's not like there was an influx anywhere. It was the fact that I had these 10 articles, which I was sharing daily. And obviously I was writing more as we were going. And every time I post one on Reddit, like sometimes they take off a little bit, some, most of the time they wouldn't. So maybe I'd get free subscribers from there. I started doing, we'll get into Twitter actually a bit later, so I won't mention too much about that, but like I post them all on Indie Hackers, I'd then link back to my, to my site. What I, what I joined about 10, 20 Slack groups, Facebook groups that didn't go particularly well. It's difficult to, Facebook's a little bit dead, I think when it comes to just posting on, on, on various groups. Um, what I was always keen to do was just, instead of trying to link people straight to a blog or, or an article or a case study, and make it sound slightly grander, I'd always try and put the case study on the platform itself. So on Indie Hackers, like my posts would always get a lot of traction, and that's because I would give out all the good stuff. Oh, absolutely. I, but pe people get so, so concerned about giving away the content on whichever platform. They're like, no, 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 we, we need... We need traffic we need numbers we need leads and it's like for fuck's sake just be people put the content where people are and they're going to appreciate it a lot more and you found you've had a lot of success with this you put all the value in the tweet thread you put all the value on the reddit post on the indie hackers post and people go oh, okay this guy's good he's giving me what i want here 
therefore I'm going to go and subscribe to him. I'm going to go and find out more. But it's like if I'm on Indie Hackers, I'm like, what, all he wants me to do is click on his on his blog to get his traffic numbers up. Fuck that. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, like you, you're hitting there on the head, really. Uh, I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, it, on Reddit, for example, if you do anything other than, than write an amazing post, you're getting nowhere. <laughs> oh, the God. only way of doing it is just writing something amazing and incredibly nicely saying, oh, by the way, I've got this thing, if anyone <laughs> wants to claim. But you've, you've got to, yeah, you, you've said it best. I mean, even it came to a point where on Slack now, um, I don't even even always share the article. I'm now sharing these pictures which just have my URL on them and and the logo. And it's these like detailed diagrams I've made. And because what I've clocked is that if you share your articles, you have to post in what's called the self-promotion channel. Those channels are more or less dead. People don't particularly like going on self-promotion channel. If you're just sharing value, quality, images, like high uh, example, uh, some of the images are like um, SEO diagrams or about two different email boxes and why which one converts better than the other or whatever with you know look, looking quite good and similar with facebook like so much so much facebook you cannot post your article because people don't like self-promotion if you post the images i've had facebook posting on this there's a group called sas hackers if anyone's listening it's a really good group and i've had i think i've had about 80 90 likes the more than i think anyone's got on that group purely because i'm just posting these diagrams and then people will find the website through that it's like what you said like People appreciate it so much that you're not trying to force something down their throat that they actually are happily to drink it themselves. Yeah, hundred percent. So you will. What what um, Reddit subreddits were you posting in? <laughs> so a Reddit entrepreneur. Um, I got banned, I think, from you Reddit. Got well, ba- this is the thing. Not for anything. I was. This was this was previous. So this was for the Kanye stuff. Like what I did was I, I was so naive. I made a few different accounts. I think, and I deleted a post from Entrepreneur Ride Along, um, which let, got me banned. I, I think I've been unbanned now. My account has got so much karma because of all the Kanye. The Kanye, if you go, you, Harry Dry, it's like, I don't know, 13,000 or something because the Kanye stuff built up so much karma just from all the posts I did on Kanye at the time. Um, but yeah, entre- Reddit Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur Ride Along, sweaty startup. Um, I've, I'm yet to get an upvote on Reddit forward slash marketing, which I I'm find baffling, but I'll still try and post there. If I do an SEO article, Reddit SEO. Um, in terms of other good watering holes, I would say the Charm Offensive. If you're, right, if you're writing about copywriting, Charm Offensive Facebook group is good. SaaS Hackers is good. Um, let me think. Uh, do you know what your top um, most upvoted post on Reddit is? <laughs> I'm going, then I would say... Maybe either the, oh, it could be the Kanye story, the Nike story, a story about Nike. No, it was posted in the Bitcoin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, all right, here's a tangent here. So, I had all that money from uh, university, and I bought, <laughs> I bought, I bought, I completely forgot this. I had nine grand or whatever, eight grand, um, and I bought Bitcoin. I had thirty grand then subsequently because Bitcoin at that point went up so much, and I didn't get the value of that thirty grand. Didn't sell it at all. A year later, it went down to about three thousand pounds. So then, I, I'm yeah, I invested all that, all that. So yeah, the the gif or the meme James is referring to is me posting a sort of meme about the Bitcoin price falling. I can't quite remember. So what it, was. it says sell eighteen k Bitcoin, and then it's a deal or no deal, <laughs> and it comes up with no deal. <laughs> oh yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, <clears throat> what sort of numbers were you getting on on those first posts? So on Reddit, I would say it doesn't particularly matter w- if you've got a following or not. So even right now, like even with a following, which I have, I would still have articles which just get one or zero upvotes. But I think I wrote one about Nike's, how Nike sold their first shoes, which had about eight. I have, have you read Shoe Dog? Yeah. So Amazing. I read Shoe Dog and I just turned this into a big story about their, their direct selling strategy. It was Jeff Johnson's, the guy who just went round from track meet to track meet with a truckload, a, a car full of, of shoes and uh, tiger shoes in his van and just talked to coaches, talked to runners and just sold them directly. And it's fascinating because I feel like a lot of marketers these days are just internet warriors. Like they grow these Instagram feeds or that's kind of what they end up doing. And in reality, if you can just leave your bedroom, you know, put on a, some clothes and sell directly to customers and smile and like talk to them as real people, that still is really underrated. Uh, that's probably why the story did so well. 
Um, also, I think that one, probably the most successful poster marketing examples, it also went to the top of Hacker News. I feel like with Hacker News, it's something where people love to be like slightly kind of on the cutting edge, but also believe in what everyone else believes a bit. So the whole argument of like direct selling is good was something which people, it just, re- I don't know, it just resonated with them. Um, it's very unclickbaity as well, which you, you really need to do there. You've got to strip away all the superfluous from the title. Um, but yeah, great book for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's move on to something I, I'm actually quite interested about is how you've been using Twitter to grow um, to grow marketing examples because I, I absolutely love Twitter. I, I, I put out a tweet the other day that if if all, this, all other social media went away and Twitter was left, I'd be more than happy with that. But the trouble I found is I, I've never been able to grow a following on Twitter. I wouldn't say I'm very good at it. So Harry, you, you've managed to grow... Um, your Twitter following to 5,800 people, only following two people with 600 tweets. Who do you follow, by the way? Oh, okay, yourself <laughs> and your sponsor. <laughs> Very nice. Um, <laughs> to, to tell me how, tell me how you, how you grow a Twitter following and, and well, what you've been doing. First, there. I asked you a question like, what sort of stuff do you tweet about? So, just marketing now, just marketing and my podcast. Well, the thing with the podcast, you've got like the the, pre- the premise of my answer, which I say is probably six or seven splinters out of this more main topic, is that you you you're not going to grow an audience linking out to stuff. It's kind of what we talked about earlier on. That you have to have it all on Twitter, because uh, f- funny, someone messaged me the other day saying, "Harry, why don't you put your blog or like like your main article as the main thing on Twitter instead? You have it at the very bottom of a thread. Like, wouldn't you have more people read it if that was all you tweeted?" And like, yeah, I, I would in the short term. Because obviously, if I was only tweeting the article, then more people would see the article. But the thing with that is that I wouldn't have had any followers in the first place. No one would have ever... Like, to get people to read your article, you have to string together 10 or so like really lovely tweets. So well, it's, it's the, the, the core of what I do on Twitter is, it's like I guess it's like microblogging. Like, I put the article on Twitter in a series of 5 to sort of 20, 15 tweets and they've all got detailed pictures and whatever. And it works for a few reasons. I'd say firstly, it's because people are much more likely to retweet threads than they are individual tweets. So I've had, the, the, you'll see the top tweet of a few of my threads would always end up with, I've had ones with maybe 70 retweets, sometimes maybe 10, 20, 40, um, around that number at the moment. And you're sort of bundling all the retweets onto that, like onto that main tweet, and that's what you want. You don't want like a scattergun. If, if, let's say you tweet 10 times a day, and they're all isolated events. You might pick up two retweets there, four retweets there, whatever there, but Twitter's not going to boom your tweet out to the world because it thinks it's all right. You've got like five retweets. But Twitter sends out, Twitter sends out the best tweets to, to people. You know, when you've got that thing like, um, Pat Walsh liked your tweet. Yeah. It's, it's because that tweet's already got a hell of a lot of likes on it. So in what, what I'm doing is in, in just creating this one mega tweet, whichever, because you read a thread, you retweet the first, Twitter, the first tweet of the thread, or you like that tweet. So it's that tweet which is accumulating, yeah, accumulating all the likes, and that means that that tweet often ends up getting sent out. Secondly, like off the back of a thread, the propensity of people who are going to follow you is just so much higher than an isolated tweet because you build up that like reputation over a series of ten or so, ten or so tweets. So you get more more followers per like. It's credibility. People are more invested in what you're saying as opposed to just one tw- one tweet. Yeah, uh, there's much more stuff here. So I'd say another thing would be. The site is the Twitter handle is called Marketing Examples. It's not called Thinkify. It's not called Marketing Consultancy. It says what it does on the tin or whatever that phrase is. It's called Marketing Examples. So you know what you get from it. I don't. I think my every single tweet since I've started, apart from I did one when I launched on Product Hunt, has just been an example in thread format. It's like think of some accounts which have smashed growth recently. There's um, one called Eddie Hearn. Uh, what's that one called? Have you heard the no context turn. No, brilliant. You know I what you get. Co- yeah. You get that video. People retweet <laughs> it. There's no, no context turn. He's not selling you a product. He's not tweeting about his new job he's got. He's not moaning about the weather. He's just posting those videos. That's all he's doing. There's another one called Naval Ravikant Bot. What does it do? It just tweets Naval. You know what you're getting. So if I was called marketing consultancy and every fourth tweet was me trying to, you know, sell an agency product I was working on, it wouldn't have grown to what, to what it's grown to. I think another thing 
market is onwards as well is it creates a path from the website to Twitter. So at the end of every article I do, there's the main call to action, which is to subscribe to the email list, but as well, there's the first tweet of the Twitter thread. I think along the I'll write something like, if you, if you enjoyed the article, like, would you mind re- retweeting the thread? And I've, I've, I embed the tweet on the, on the site, so it's not like a little button you click or whatever. And I think to actually to visualize it in the, the tweet, and often it will say, like, hopefully, you know, 20 retweets, 150 likes, and, you know, 20, like, replies or whatever. So people might just want to click on it themselves to see what people have been saying. And that pulls people into the Twitter, and I feel like people are so much more likely to retweet something when, when, they, when they see the actual tweet rather than just, like, a cursory mention of sending them to Twitter. So, yeah, create paths back from your site to Twitter. And another one is, like, <laughs> I think I said this on the Indie Hackers podcast, but people retweet pure crystal meth. you got to think... Uh, what I mean by this is you're not going to retweet something if it looks like an advert. So if you've got a tweet which has a few ats in, a few hashtags in, like, at Paul Graham, hashtag startups, like, no one wants to retweet that. It's just not, it's not pure. So my rule of thumb is, would Walter White cook it? Is it, it's got to be that, <laughs> it's got to be that pure. So the tweet, what I've, what I've actually realized doing the threads is that the shorter and simpler I make the first tweet of the thread, what happens is retweets go up proportionally to likes. It's not necessarily better to have it shorter, but people like to retweet something which looks, which looks great on their own timeline. People just like, like, like to look good. You're not going to retweet something that looks like someone's advertising their own thing. So I've had one, I think, which, for example, said, costly signaling theory, Fred. And it had about, I can't remember how many retweets, maybe 50 or something. But compared to likes, like, the retweets was huge. And it's because that's essentially what you want is retweets to grow your audience. And if that was a big explanation of the article, it doesn't look so cool for someone to retweet it. So that's something else. And I think above all that is just create an account which people actually want to follow. So if you're trying to grow a, a Twitter account, sorry to say it, but just cut out like the moaning about the weather, cut out the bad day at work today, just cut, cut, cut out that stuff, just offer value at the end of the day. Um, I think that is so, so refreshing because the value that you offer and that Martin Example offers for your sponsors, for your users, is the fact you've got the brand there, not only on the website, but on Twitter and people follow it wherever. Um, and I, it's, it's refreshing That's to see. That's such a good point. Like, I think a lot of my, <laughs> something like that, when, when you said that, it shows how naive I am, I guess, in a way. And that's why naivety can be a good thing, I suppose. I'd never considered the traditional idea that I'm actually directing someone away from my website. Like, never thought about it. You say it's a pretty, you could argue it's a bad thing, but you say it like that as well. I feel like it's not. And I do feel like kind of like beginner's mindset or the lack of knowledge I have is leads me to better decisions in, in certain areas also not as well like how long does it take you to write an article varies a lot to research and so uh the podia one today i get up the live stats i published it two hours ago or something like that so let's see how it's gone oh, i'm not 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 too happy with the original um five hours ago this is the one about podia uh, it took me about a week that was a huge like a really long article no, three or four days of solid writing, and um, it hasn't like went particularly big or anything like that at, at the minute. And I feel like I've had articles which I've done in a day, which have 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 got far more people, uh, far more people have read. Um, it really varies. The best, the shortest article I wrote was the one about how Jason Cohen does direct sales, and that was honestly about four hours because he just explains the tip really well on a yeah. on a video. I just took pretty much his transcript and. Re- rewrote it in my own my own terms and obviously gave, gave credit to him so that's like the dream I feel like uh, often I fall into the trap of trying to do something really in depth and and delicate and it ends up not doing nearly as well as something incredibly simple so um it so, varies so, so that podio one was five 500-ish words the actual post on marketing examples but that took you a week to research and to put together so no, I would say about about three to four day, four days probably. So, but that I really like. That that wasn't a negative thing. That was you are putting so much effort into ensuring the quality of these posts, and it shows because you read through it. Um, you you even do the you style the screenshots. I mean, that that is something no one would ever consider, but it's the attention to detail that makes it so good. Um, you lay it out very well. You've got good references throughout. Um, 
the formatting is just lovely. And it's all of these things put together and the time you spent putting the thread together as well, picking the right emojis to use for it. Um, all of those things put together just show you the amount of time and effort you need to put in for good content. Uh, firstly, I really appreciate that. I think it's very, very nice of you to say. And to sound like arrogant, I completely agree with you. <laughs> because a lot of it as well is signaling. So like you read an article which looks great and you're just going to read the whole thing. You see that first screenshot, which I made, the one about... It's, it, to to kind of like... Actually, you see, that's probably not the most in-depth, but I've had ones before which have honestly taken me four or five hours to make in terms of like arrows pointing in every little direction. And it just shows that when you see that someone's invested X amount of time, it says something about how they value the content and you're more likely to read it and whatnot. And I do feel like, um, yeah, it's a big selling point, like the time it takes. Um, a great example of this is Steph Smith, who writes um, on, a, on a, her personal blog. Today, she puts a hell of a lot of time into her articles. And often, like, I feel like we should both turn ourselves into more of like SEO machines where we just write more and stuff like that, like get more organic traffic. But today, she had an article featured on Pocket's newsletter. And she had, I think that has, she, I can't remember how, exactly how many, but she had it 200 or so people on her website concurrently. Um, mega traffic and you only get those kind of like freak occurrences if, you're, if your quality's great so I feel like quantity is a short in a way like you get the organic stuff but it's a short term short term payoff like if I was knocking out articles slowly but surely people would realise and you don't get the hack and news spikes if you, if you don't put in the time you don't get the you know I, I, I honestly feel like one day someone like uh, some, someone huge in the startups field will, will come onto this website and they'll be like, wow, this guy's put, <laughs> these are all really detailed. He puts four, four days a week into every single one and you, you get the payoff from that. And you, you never get that kind of like black swan event if you just produce shit. And the, the value is all in this like freak event happening. Marketing examples will potter on nicely for the next like two or three months. And, and it'll be one time when just out of nowhere, it gets featured in XY newsletter, like Neil Patel talks, but I get invited to speak at a conference. I'm, I guess partly I'm on the podcast today because like, you can see that it puts time in. You get these, you get these little benefits from from quality. So you've also managed to to grow your email list a lot, and you've actually done a post on this recently about um, how you convert, um, how you convert, and you build that. How many people have you got on your list now, and how have you started to build that up? All right, the live stats. So what happens is after I put out an article, I always get unsubscribes, just naturally. If yeah, you yeah. Have a big enough Good. List. I'm, a, I'm a fan of unsubscribes because <laughs> it cuts out the, the rubbish people you don't want. <laughs> I've got 6,310 currently. So yeah, six, I think Product Hunt was huge, really. Like I, I just go jumping around a bit again, but before Product Hunt, maybe about 1,500. Product Hunt... The, the weeks of product and two weeks around that 3,000 just in pretty much one go um, and again like that comes back into what we were talking what I was talking about with the quality uh, it, it would I would get more email subscribers if I I'm not in, in the very short term if I wrote more but you wouldn't get the massive product hunt launch because people just would be like ah oh, this is alright this isn't it's not that good he's like an, any other any other marketing writer um, just going into the email list I think I'm sure you know a lot about this as well. I would say, for me, the key is email boxes. Like if you only have one email box on your on your site, you're you're missing out on a hell of a lot of people signing up. Like, I've seen example of this. Is I was on, I was looking at Glenn Allsop, the guy who writes about SEO and really good writer, and never really was never subscribed to his thing, despite looking at his website for a few years. And um, the reason why is just because he's got this one page where he's got his email box on his homepage. And at the end of every article, it's I never realized it until I looked into it in more detail. It's at the end of all the comments. So you just never see it. I never saw it in pretty much two years of looking at his site because I'd always go straight to the articles. And like, although people maybe give pop-ups a bad name, they really help. And one little way of making it slightly more user-friendly is if you do an exit intent pop-up, a user essentially goes to leave the website, that, that's when you pull up the pop-up. Um, so I'd say bacon and eggs is just like make sure you make it really easy for someone to subscribe um, I'd say another thing is you sort of copy like a lot of uh, a sunglasses company contacted me the other day just asking for some advice about their landing page and I said to him are you trying to grow an email list or not and he went he said yeah 
And I said, well, look, you've got this one thing in the footer where you've got your email, and it says subscribe for... For, for updates? Subscribe for updates. Yeah. And I was thinking, how many people are ever going to subscribe for these updates, whatever, the, whatever <laughs> they are, whenever they come? So, like, on marketing examples, it's, it's really clear. I say get two new case... I think it's get two new case studies every week. Yeah, every Tuesday and Friday. Yeah, joined 6,450 marketers getting two new case studies every week with, like, real startups, easy to implement, two-minute read, free forever. Upgrade. And it, the, the, the call to action is upgrade my marketing, which I don't necessarily think is the best, but people don't like subscribing to stuff. So if you say subscribe to a newsletter, no, no one wants to do that. The example I gave is, you know, if you're into chess, um, no one wants to subscribe to a chess newsletter, but everyone wants to play better chess. It's just a little tweak in the words, I think, which can make a bit of a difference. Um, what, yeah, what would you say? I'm sure there's... I'm going to look no, at my uh, well, I buy time. Uh, no, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I've seen a lot of poor examples. So I've, I've worked in B2B for um, most of my career. So you see a lot of, a lot of poor stuff because um, they don't necessarily have to do great marketing to, to get the leads in because what happens then is you pass the leads over to the sales guys and they they will hunt down that that person and then it's a 100k deal so if you put 100k in marketing spend um you close two deals i imagine what you could do if i gave you 100k um for marketing examples but in terms of actually providing value exactly well provide showing what value you'll get out of subscribing people want to know you are so so clear about i will get this i'll get that i know when i'll get it i know when i'll get it i'll know what i'll get um and it, it's, it's just so much better the the problem with a lot of newsletters they're so ambiguous they probably don't even know when they're going to be releasing it they think oh we could do it once a week or but no, I, I really like it's every Tuesday, it's every Friday. Um, I know exactly how many is going to be going into my inbox. Um, you've got social proof there. Join 6,000 6, marketers. So important to have in there. Yeah, of what you said, I think, I, again, completely agree. I think that as well as the 6,000 marketers, there's another bit of social proof where I actually have testimonials, I think, from readers. And it's something which for your website everyone does like oh you need you know it's obvious you've got to have some social proof people saying they love your skateboard but when it comes to your email list like no one does it and my value proposition is my email list so it, i've got to have the social proof there of i think it's ben tossel and george mack who recommend the site and as well as that i think ask personally so that personal call to action you know it makes a big difference and especially if you can leverage the fact that i am just one person i am harry uh, doing marketing examples and I think at the end of every article, I say, if you like the article and want to learn more from, if you, if you like the article and want to learn from more real world examples, joining the email list is really appreciated. Putting it in that human language. If you look at every single YouTube video, everyone does this. There's barely a YouTube video goes by which you don't see the words, subscribe to my channel, like that button. But just on websites, people are maybe take themselves a little bit too seriously and they don't give that personal call to action. One more, I guess, is a really obvious one, but people don't do it is get a dedicated subscribe page. So I've had maybe about 15% of my, 12% of my uh, subscribers come directly through my subscribe page. And that means that if I'm dishing out value on an email or on Reddit or Startup School is another really good one, I can link straight to that subscribe page. So Where is what it? I, what do I have to go to? Marketing example slash subscribe? Yeah, so what I do is I, I, I link there from other places. Other places. So uh, a good example is on startup school, I've been posting all my articles and it's like a big blog, I guess, a bit like Indie Hackers and a big forum, sorry, a bit like Indie Hackers. And I'll write the whole article out and then I'll say, look, if you like the article, um, you subscribe here. And it, it's just, instead of saying, go to my website, which is good, they already are a fan. They've just read this massive article I've wrote so I can sort of convert them straight to subscribers. And it's a little thing, but it does work. Actually, if you look at James Clear, the guy who's wrote Atomic Habits, his twitter website takes you straight to his subscribe page not to his website and it's just because that's what he wants you to do just send you straight there um and yeah i guess finally to round this one off is this topic off is i know i talked about pop-ups but astoundingly i've got the stat like 50 percent of my subscribers came from my pop-up so like you can sit there anyone can sit there all they want and say i'm not having a pop-up it's not doesn't fit my thing but if you do want to build a, a, e a newsletter it, it does business and then also on the top of your site, final one is you've got the sticky banner with the 
with the, with the form field. Was it you that did the Notion example? Yes. So at Bang On, I saw Notion do this thing where from any point on their website, you could sign up to their, um, you could sign up. Because if you scroll down the page, a little a sticky header, you know, you can you can enter your email there. It's just one click away. So on marketing examples, I think from any point on the site, you're only one click away from signing up and you use the fixed header, put your email box in there. And it, again, it does, I think that one, that one gets 22% of signups. So just what's, what's funny is that you'd assume that most people would sign up after reading the article. That's like rational human being. They read an article, they like it, they sign up, but that accounts for six, 16% of my signups. It's all from plays. It's all from the pop-up, which is like the, you know, the, the last kind of Sebastian of the defense or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, and then the, how how do you come up with ideas for the articles? Oh wow! So I would say I'm like a like a police dog searching for <laughs> sniffing out drugs. Like whatever I see an opportunity, I'll I'll close it down. Uh, sniffing out those bags of Martin cocaine. <laughs> uh, they're all different places. So I literally just run. I've got the website up on my screen. I'll run for it now. Podia's hub of competitors at comparison pages. Got a tweet from someone called Andrea Bassoni. Said like, check this out. Checked it out. Um, CD Baby's confirmation email, massive Derek Sivers fan, saw this thing about five years ago, just stored it up for when it was needed. Um, how to build a website which converts email subscribers. I just realized that my site was converting and 12% of people to email subscribers went for it. Um, what to do if Joe Rogan recommends your product? So, uh, one friend WhatsApp me this video, thought it was great. Um, refactor a new wire lesson in high prices. Read the Refractor oh, UI book. I fucking love that story. Uh, it's it's amazing. I'll, I'll I'll leave a link for the I'll leave a link to a podcast, art product or something for the Refractor UI story. Amazing. Yeah, uh, it's it's a shame we've only discussed like, talked about Refractor UI now because I could talk to him about him for about an hour. But like massive Refractor UI fan. I think I listened to Adam Wafen on the on a podcast and he just tells the story and I dug into their pricing and wrote about that. Marketing tools are damaging. The last one I'll, I'll do. I'm sure this is boring people. <laughs> marketing tools are damaging your SEO and how to fix it. So I was in a Slack group where I was sharing my examples and I spotted a, a comment uh, which had had about 12 or so upvotes, like the most ever in this post. And it was talk this guy who was talking about um, how he's essentially optimized his website from an SEO point of view. I think what he does is he only loads scripts on scroll. It's only a, like a small thing, but it, it does make a bit of a difference if you've got a slow site. People were loving it, so I just messaged him, being like, Look, "Do you mind t telling me a bit more about this?" And we went back and forth for a few days. He he told me about exactly how it works, and he shared his code with me. And that actually, that's a great example of one where like that one ended up with three hundred and two likes on Twitter. And in a way, like you think that's weird, but no, it's not because out of every single post on that Slack group, that was the one which had the most likes. And I was just the person who could translate that onto a bit of a bigger scale with the, the audience I'd already built up. So like. If you're in the right places, you can just take the cream. There's a great one actually about gifts, which I'll probably have put out by the time this podcast comes out, but it's what a lot of companies are doing these days, especially if you're like a fashion company, is they make Giphy pages. Now with Giphy, what you can do is, um, if you get a brand account on Giphy, you can slip in like a logo into your GIF and Giphy powers messaging for all of the places like TikTok, me uh, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Instagram. So what companies do is they'll create these GIFs, target fairly long tailish words. Like the guy I was looking at had um, Viva Latina as what his GIFs were about. And people type that into Messenger, you know, to send a GIF. And it's got the, um, uh, the, the website of the fashion brand. I think it's like a Latina fashion, Latino fashion company. And he's got about 5.5 million impressions in, in a month or seriously, like a month or so. I'm not sure how much it translates into like website views or sales, but just from a purely a brand point of view, it's great. And I've noticed BT Sport do this as well. So they've got gifts of all the footballers. Let's say Rashford scores a goal, which isn't happening very much at the minute. <laughs> but you'd, you'd type in Rashford into GIF, maybe send it to your friend. BT Sport have got their logo in the top right-hand corner of the, of the GIF, and it's, it's what powers messaging these days. So with that one, I've been writing an article about it. And that was the post on Indie Hackers, I think, which got... In copious amounts of like serious upvotes so when I tweet it out like it should theoretically get down on a bigger scale just because it was the best post on Indie Hackers I've messaged the guy called Brian who wrote about it and he's walked me through it amazing well all, all, all the examples I will well I'll make sure I put marketing examples in the show notes definitely check it out you can go through some of um, some of the examples that we've been talking about in the episode Harry how, how are you making money from it you, you, you're putting out these good articles, you're charging people for it. 
I uh, know it's all free at the minute, believe it or not. I actually had a really lovely tweet. Someone went, how is this stuff free? Which is the best tweet I think I've ever got. Um, so I, I did a... Uh, do you want the short story or the long story? I, I, w- I want the long story, Harry, come on. <laughs> um, I did a talk. Basically, this is again the Kanye thing. So that came to nothing, but it just opened doors. So I did a talk in London about the Kanye story. Little did I know at the time that in the audience there was uh, someone from Eman Octopus there. I know you've had... Had um, which one? Which brother did you have on Gareth on the podcast? It was Tom, who's the COO, who was like their first hire in the in the audience. So like we got talking afterwards, and I think I, like the talk went pretty well. So I then started using Email Octopus after talking to Tom. It's a really good service, and I did marketing examples, and like I knew kind of Tom a little bit. We'd have you back and forth at that point, and I just said, "Do you want to sponsor it?" And at the time, it had like 100, 200 email subscribers, and like no company would have really touched it. It just wasn't. It didn't have much going for it, but Tom, I think, because we'd had that face-to-face interaction, kind of, yeah, went for it and started paying me a monthly amount. And I was obviously, I think it works well because I'm genuinely a fan of Email Octopus. So on the website, it says, I use Email Octopus for my email marketing, so should you. I think it's great actually having a company which you're, you know, you're really behind. You know, when I started with Tom, we was on about 200 subscribers. Now we're on about 6,000, you know, 300 or whatnot. So yeah, the money's gone up at the moment. It's all sponsorship. But I do feel like, and it's it's not <laughs> it's far from like crazy money at all. It's not much money, but it does allow me to 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 work on it full time. That's the real benefit, um, and that's the the time I'm putting in. I feel like the email subscribers will pay back one day. In, however, maybe I launch a product. Maybe you know, there's a course. Maybe it's an, a tangential thing. What, what what are your plans for it for the future? That's a good question. What do you think I should do? I haven't got too many genuinely too many plans for it that's a it's an interesting thing because you've you've got a lot lot of knowledge here and you're providing a lot of value to people and i think the way you deliver ads is really really good and it's really tasteful so on your site it's just another one of your tiles um it's they don't have control over um the the creative there it looks really nice so i feel you could gen generally genuinely scale this using advertisements however i feel like charging for some of the content will be a good way for you to start making even more money because i i I would happily pay 10 quid a month to to get these into my inbox because i appreciate the value of them it's not like any of the other um any, any of the other newsletters i subscribe to or websites i visit um, you genuinely put time into this and they help people out. So that that is an option, but I know you said it's free forever. So you've got to think about um, what other products you could build out of it using the same model and using the same, um, the same knowledge you've got and these examples. Because the value is um, I find something really interesting which has actionable advice that I can take out and use. So it's then how can you monetize that further? I feel like going back to something, re- actually, firstly, very nice of you to say that you'd, you'd pay 10 quid. I like some, some more user research I think I should be doing because if if people do think that they're at that level or that they would, you know, that is an avenue. Um, something Adam Wafen said, I think, on when he was talking about refactoring your eyes, it's a fantastic design book, is that um, their plan, they had Steve Shogu, the guy just tweeting these amazingly detailed like little design tips out on Twitter and he grew his Twitter following from I think zero, zero to 60,000 really in about a year or so. And he, he said that when, you, when you're dripping all this value into people's arms, what you're doing is you're, you're compressing the spring. And when you do say, all right, I've, you know, I've now, I've got, I'm selling something, um, it, it goes... It's, <laughs> I, I hate to bring it up, but it, it's, it's Gary V's jab, 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 right hook thing. <laughs> I, I, I don't like to bring him up because I, I only sort of semi-agree with what he says. But it's true. Give value, give value, give value, and then ask for something. So, yeah. I, I, I keep, gr- keep building up that value then. Mate. I think before Christmas, the plan like next maybe two or three months is simply just to make it as big as possible. And I, I, I also feel like opportunities will arise, which I at least expect. So... 
you know, with a new sponsor coming on, like I didn't really anticipate that, but it's just because I was writing good articles and the guy who found it just is a big fan of the sites. Yeah. So. Well, de- definitely keep focusing on on doing what you're doing and head down and growing it. Uh, the worst thing you can do is be chasing money at this point or chasing uh, further ways to monetize it. Just keep keep producing the type of content. Well, I, I think we're we've we've chatted for an hour and a half now. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got a lot of good stuff here. I've really enjoyed chatting to you, Harry. Um, some really useful stuff, some actionable stuff for people to take away. All the links will be in the show notes. Anything you want to leave us with? I feel like I will. I'll leave something. I had a great, really, generally an awesome time. I, I didn't think it'd be so fun doing it face to face. On the Indie Hackers one, I was kind of like nervous throughout the whole thing, uh, staring at my notes with this. It was just talking. I don't know, a lot of rubbish, maybe a lot of good stuff for, for an hour and a half. Great fun. Um, I will, I'll leave you with a little line from Jose Mourinho, I think. <laughs> I'll say, the dogs bark, the caravan moves on. Just remember that and you'll be fine. Well, lovely way to finish. Thank you for, ha- thank you for that, Harry. Appreciate you having you on. Um, and speak soon. Cheers, James. Uh, real pleasure, generally. What a fantastic episode that was. Thank you, Harry, so much for coming on the pod. You're a great guest. You had some great insights, and I really, really enjoyed it. For those of you who've made it to the end of the podcast, thank you so much for listening to the whole thing. Again, if you want to support this pod, as I said at the start of the episode, you can now buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash jamesmc. All of the links and references from this episode will be in the show notes, so make sure you check those out if you want to find out anything that was talked about in this episode. Thank you again. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.